0: I spoke about this, like, Friday, too. Um, I find myself just trying to deal with a lot of shit. And, um, if you were, and I was talking earlier today, and, um, like, what we're going through, we're just facing right now at the time of this crisis is just so fucked up, man. It is so fucked up. And God, I, it is affecting me in the ways that I just like um, that I just didn't think it would like it I'm not okay with it. Like it's funny that I just like I'm not okay, and I'm trying to deal with it. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, um, yeah. Here, let's let's just address this. Um, this isn't gonna be a segment, but I guess we can actually start it up. So, um, this is just depressing. So the U.S. economic. Um, the U.S. economy added 194,000 jobs in September, another week, month, heading into the final stretch of 2021. The United States, and let me just boot this up a little bit so you guys can read it. The United States. Um, wow. dude I'm sorry to hear that um what was he um what what event was he in Joe yeah that that that's rough that is definitely rough um and like this is just fuck I hate to be the the Debbie downer but let's let's just go over this and this is like one of the things that um I kind of fucking want to deal with bodybuilding oh shit damn that yeah yeah that's that's messed up so let's just look at this um, for a second. The United States added just about nine, excuse me, one hundred ninety-four thousand jobs. in September, the Labor Department reported Friday, disappearing, disappointing results that raise fresh concerns about econo- the economic recovery as a Delta variant and lagging vaccination rates exacerbated long-standing labor market woes. The tally well below. The 500000 that the analysts had forecasted is the lowest since January and comes after months of strong job growth petered down in August. Though it was enough to slice the unemployment rate to 4.8% versus the, 52, the excuse me, 5.2% in August, the deli- decline is partly due to the number of people, primarily women, leaving the labor force. The pandemic's toll on the labor market is no longer a new phenomenon, and the public and political appetite for addressing it appears to be waning, after Congress allowed unemployment benefits to expire for at least 6 million Americans last month. The report underscores the continuing strain in certain sectors of the economy, particularly in low-wage work, which is not rebounded. The way higher skilled job positions have, the United States have five, has five million fewer jobs than it did pre-pandemic, and it needs to gain back an even bigger number for the labor market to fully recover. And for those in those numbers skewed along socioeconomic lines, while Americans 25 and older with college degrees fully recover from their pandemic jobs losses. In by May, Americans in similar age groups without degrees remained 4.6 million jobs below pre-pandemic level. September was supposed to be pivotal to push to gain back those jobs with widespread coronavirus vaccinations following caseloads and return of normal functions such as in-person schooling to allow the economy to rev back up. But child care woes, lingering health concerns about the virus, and in-person work and skill wage and preferential uh, preferences mismatch for those looking for jobs to continue to throw in recovery in doubt. A unique and evolving set of challenges for policy maker, makers and central bankers. Well, what I just read to you was that. They thought that the search was going to get back to the mines because they cut the unemployment benefits and um, they didn't. Mm. What happened is more and more people were just like fuck these jobs. You want to pay us? You want to give us what we worth? Fuck these jobs. And they're not going back. Mm. And I don't blame them. It's sad, man. It's it's just sad. Fuck. It's sad. Like, why? Why don't they realize that people need a living wage? Why won't they realize this shit? God damn it. Oh. <sighs> we still have a pandemic going on, people. We're still dealing with a pandemic. And the fact that you want to cut people's benefits in order to try to get them or force them back into work, why don't you just pay people? No, you're too concerned with fucking partisanship to fucking crash the economy just to make different people look bad. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. You know what would actually help? What would actually help get us back to normal? Giving people the money that they're fucking missing out on for not having a job. You know what would help us get back to better than normal? Making sure people have a fucking universal basic income. And not some bullshit, well, we're going to cut a benefit here in order to give you this shit shit. No, just give us the fucking money. 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 And make it universal. Just make it universal. Just make it fucking universal. What are people going to do? You know, they're they going to have to spend that money on like stuff like drugs. Like, you know, that one drugs that they need. Like, called food that they need to eat. The numbers came out. The numbers came out and they realized when they cut the money for people to spend money buying shit, the demand went out. This is clearly, clearly fucking supply and demand. People are demanding more money to work for these jobs. Why don't you just supply them the money? When you give people more money, then people spend more money. Yeah, like no, like the the fact is they actually did this shit, and like we watched the Rucker Berkman um video where they actually did the shit, they actually did the shit, and they found out this. Uh, uh, oh, let me, let me see if I can actually find it. It's in my history. Um, let's see, let's go to my history. This isn't wasn't supposed to be a segment. Um, here, let's see if I can actually find them. Um. Yeah, let's let's do this video. I know I've done it before, but. We're just going to actually do this video. Man. Here, check this out. Check this out. You guys can hear fine. Okay, good.
1: I'd like to start with a simple question. Now, why?
0: If you don't know who Rucker Berkman is, literally. He was the guy that was at Davos. Like they let a historical e- economist in. And like he said that all these places all these people are going around like, "We don't know where it happened, where we tax the rich. They're going to take their money and go somewhere else." And all this other good bullshit. He said it worked in America, where the effective tax tax rate was like seventy percent in some cases ninety percent. And when people hear that, they say, "What do you mean?" They're just like, "No, at a certain amount, your money is taxed at seventy percent, and then above that is taxed at a different rate." But yeah, 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 it was working for the nineteen fifties. But let's let's hear let's hear his TED talk.
1: Shall we? Do the poor make so many poor decisions? I know it's a harsh question, but take a look at the data. The poor borrow more, save less, smoke more, exercise less, drink more, and eat less healthily. Why? Well, the standard explanation was once summed up by the British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, and she called poverty a personality defect.
0: Man, fuck that bitch. I'm glad she's dead, cold, and in the grave fuck her and i can say that because she's dead
1: let's go a lack of character basically now i'm sure not many of you would be so blunt but the idea that there's something wrong with the poor themselves is not restricted to mrs Thatcher. some of you may believe that the poor should be held responsible for their own mistakes and others may argue that we should help them to make better decisions so if you guys don't get this This is that whole
0: paternalistic thing. Oh, they're just poor. They don't know what to do with the money. Oh, they're just poor. They're stupid. Oh, they're just poor. Um, um, They just don't know any better. They're just poor. So we need to tell them what to do.
1: But the underlying assumption is the same. There's something wrong with them. If we could just change them. If we could just teach them how to live their lives. If they would only listen. And to be honest, this was what I thought for a long time. It was only a few years ago that I discovered that everything I thought I knew about poverty was wrong. It all started when I accidentally stumbled upon a paper by a few American psychologists. They had traveled 8,000 miles all the way to India for a fascinating study.
0: Now, I've heard this study before, and yeah, we've watched this video before on this channel. But listen to this study. Listen to this study and see what you guys
1: get from it. And it was an experiment with sugarcane farmers. You should know that these farmers collect about 60% of their annual income all at once, right after the harvest. And this means that they're relatively poor one part of the year and rich the other. And the researchers asked them to do an IQ test before and after the harvest. What they subsequently discovered completely blew my mind. The farm.
0: Wait, first, I'm gonna have to say this IQ tests are bullshit. Like, they're just bullshit. They only determine how well you can take a test. They're bullshit. That being said, I think what he's going to say about this does hold some
1: weight. Let's continue. Farmers scored much worse on the test before the harvest. The effects of living in poverty, it turns out, correspond to losing 14 points of IQ. Now, to give you an idea, that's comparable to losing a night's sleep or the effects of alcoholism. A few months later, I heard that Elder Shafir, a professor at Princeton University and one of the authors of this study, was coming over to Holland, where I live. So we met up in Amsterdam to talk about his revolutionary new theory of poverty. I wonder if they
0: were in Amsterdam. Did they enjoy Amsterdam? Uh, I'm being an asshole.
1: Let's go. And I can sum it up in just two words. Scarcity mentality. It turns out that people behave differently when they perceive a thing to be scarce. And what that thing is doesn't much matter whether it's not enough time, money, or food. You all know this feeling, when you've got too much to do, or when you've put a break in for lunch and your blood sugar takes a dive. You know, this narrows your focus to your immediate lack, to the sandwich you've got to have now, the meeting that's starting in five minutes, or the bills that have to be paid tomorrow. All right,
0: so I'm gonna take a break right here and say this. So one of the things that I do wanna say, this is not just with money and shit. Ironically, I actually do see the same thing when people talk about their relationships. Like I like you have no idea like oh, okay, so I'm not a part of the just monogamous crowd. Do I practical practice ethical non-monogamy when I'm with somebody? Yeah. And like this could be broken down to just like when people feel like Like, when you're poor, you want to actually even hold on to relationships that you think that may be toxic as shit, or a relationship style in order to secure your motherfucker. Like, what you think your wealth is. And that's scary. There are so many people that hold on to a monogamous relationship, that hold on to a toxic relationship because they're just fucking poor. Um, which is sad because they still end up cheating and it still fucks them over in the end. But, like, I just want to take that time to just say that. Like, yeah, no, it's it's scary because when you think that your resources are scar- scarce, you start to think fucking different or go against your nature or to pretend to be something that you're not. This shit is scary. This shit is, like, really, really scary but let's continue.
1: So the long-term perspective goes out the window. You could compare it to a new computer that's running 10 heavy programs at once. It gets slower and slower, making errors, eventually it freezes, not because it's a bad computer, but because it has too much to do at once. Yeah. And the poor have the same problem. They're not making dumb decisions because they are dumb, but because they're living in a context in which anyone would make dumb decisions. So suddenly, I understood why so many of our anti-poverty programs don't work. Well, it doesn't work because you're just trying to tell the poor what to
0: do. You're just trying to, oh my God, instead of addressing the situations where it's leading to poor decisions, instead of addressing where it's leading to, like, just fucked up situations, you are literally, literally just like, oh yeah, just do this. What about you worried about your housing? You worried about your fucking telecommunication? Like, what about your worried because you don't know if you will not have enough money to pay one thing or the next? Where is that shit at? Like, how do you not real? How do these people not realize this? It's not that these people can't make good decisions. It's just that it's one decision after one decision after one decision after another decision. When you're a fucking wine mob in the suburbs and you have to wonder, do you want fucking white or red wine or let's just say rosé? Those are different decisions. You get a little bit more time. But when you try to make it to this and then that and then this and then that, you're only thinking like one or two steps ahead.
1: But let's continue. Investments in education, for example, are often completely ineffective. Poverty is not a lack of knowledge. A recent analysis of 201 studies on the effectiveness of money management training came to the conclusion that it has almost no effect at all. Now don't get me wrong. This is not to say that the poor don't learn anything. They can come out wiser for sure, but it's not enough. So
0: this is actually really, really fun. Well, why don't you just teach them to pay their bills? Why don't you just like, if you have a bill that's $600 and another bill that's $700 and another bill that's fucking another $600 and you only have $1,500 coming in, what do you think people are going to fucking do with their money? They're going to fucking flip out. and They're going to be like, fuck it. Let's spend it on some bullshit so I can cope. This is one of the reasons why I don't harp on people that are poor that do drugs. Shit, it's stressful. Being poor
1: is stressful. But let's continue. Or, as Professor Shafir told me, it's like teaching someone to swim and then throwing them in a stormy sea. I still remember sitting there, perplexed. And it struck me that we could have figured this all out decades ago. I mean, these psychologists didn't need any complicated brain scans. They only had to measure the farmer's IQ. (laughs) Yes, Joe, it may be time for
0: piñata economics in Minecraft. I'm not saying that we should eat the rich, but they do
1: taste good with barbecue sauce. An IQ test were invented more than 100 years ago. Actually, I realized I'd read about the psychology of poverty before. George Orwell, one of the greatest writers who ever lived experienced poverty firsthand in the 1920s. The essence of poverty, he wrote back then, is that it annihilates the future. And he marveled.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, G.A. Like, yeah, of course. Financial literacy is bullshit. Like, people know when they have enough money, how to pay their bills. People know how to do that shit. The problem is not having enough money to pay your bills. That's literally an issue. That is literally a fucking issue. But let's let's let Professor uh, Berkman
1: finish. Quote: How people take it for granted. They have the right to preach at you and pray over you as soon as your income falls below a certain level. Now those words are every bit as resonant today. The big question is of course... What can be done. Modern economists have a few solutions of their sleeves. We could help the poor with their paperwork or send them a text message to remind them to pay their bills. Now, this type of solution is hugely popular with modern politicians.
0: Yeah, personal responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personal responsibility for the poor and subsidies for the rich. I'm sorry. I'm
1: Mostly because, well, they cost next to nothing. These solutions are, I think, a symbol of this era in which we so often treat the symptoms but ignore the underlying cause. So I wondered, why don't we just change the context in which the poor live? Or going back to our computer analogy, why keep tinkering around with the software when we can easily solve the problem by installing some extra memory instead? Now, at that point, Professor Shafir responded with a blank look. And after a few seconds, he said, ah, oh, I get it. You mean you, you want to just hand out more money to the poor to eradicate poverty? Uh, yeah, sure, uh, that'd be great. <laughs> but I'm afraid that brand of left-wing politics you've got in Amsterdam, it doesn't exist in the States. But is this really an old-fashioned leftist idea?
0: All right, all right, we did enough of this video. This is not for this video. It's just like, here,
1: let, let me spoil it for you. ...that many of you may feel pessimistic about the future of rising inequality, xenophobia, and climate change. But it's not enough to know what we're against. We also need to be for something. Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a nightmare. <laughs> he had a dream. So, here's my dream. Yes, let's hear the I believe in a future where the value of your work is not determined by the size of your paycheck, but by the amount of happiness you spread and the amount of now, the money you give. Mind you, mind
0: you, this man isn't a fucking Marxist, but he is literally stating Marxist principles. The value of your, the value of your work isn't determined by the size of your paycheck. But what you're able to give to society. But let, let's go.
1: I believe in a future where the point of education is not to prepare you for another useless job, but for a life well lived. I believe in a future where an existence without poverty is not a privilege, but a right we all deserve. So here we are. Here we are. We've got the research, we've got the evidence, and we've got the means. Now, more than five hundred years after Thomas More first wrote about basic income, and a hundred years after George Orwell discovered the true nature of poverty, we all need to change our worldview. Because poverty is not a lack of character. Poverty is a lack of cash. Thank you.
0: All right, all right. Just like Professor uh, Professor Berkman said, poverty is not a lack of character. It's just a lack of money. Yeah, and We have gone so far away from that, Joe. We have gone so far away from that. And it's sad. It's sad. And people still believe that that's the case, that people can can live off of basic pennies. Why is it that the poverty line now is for a single person $15,000? What do you do with just $15,000 a year in most states? What do you do with that? Even if you had to live in a place where your rent was, say, like 700 that's $8,400 a year. $8,400 a year out of $15,000. That's $15,000 before tax. What do you do with that? What the fuck do you do with it? Like I I don't understand. I fucking don't understand. Because it's not about making sure people have affordable living. It's about making sure that profits are going to the, the, the right people. I don't know. I don't know. Like this is what these are the things that pisses me off. These are the things that pisses me off. Man, man, I, I just can't anymore. I can't pretend to like, just like act as if we're not in a fucked up ass system anymore. So why not? Well, not you in the chat, but why everybody who's not in the chat? Why is it that you can pretend that things aren't fucked up? Is because you're just ahead? Your head is just above the water. Why everybody else is drowning, and so, so it's only matter to you. Why? 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 What? Why can you pretend that everything is okay? <sighs> anyway, anyway, guys, I'm sorry. This isn't supposed to be a segment. I guess I turned it into a segment. I, I don't know. Oh, God. Oh, God. <sighs>